You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey guys, welcome to Midtown. My name's Josh Valle, and I gotta say it's really weird to not be wearing a mask in Baker Center right now. So I feel a little naked. I'm sorry. Um, Same. Yes. Uh, but I'm the college pastor here at Midtown. My name is Josh, and I am joined by Midtown favorite today, Miss Akiko Scott. Give her a little round of applause. This is exciting for me for a couple reasons. One, if you don't know, Akiko and I worked together for a couple years when I first came on staff here, and uh, she really, like, made the boat actually float. So without her, like, our, our college ministry when I first came was like... That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> was like 10% dudes and like 90% girls. So she was really the college pastor, and I was just like her aide on the side. And so I'm super excited to be up here with Akiko. Akiko's actually gave this talk before and did an awesome job, which is part of the reason why we have her up here. The other part is that I have been married for like 12 years, and I have four kids. So I don't think any single person wants to hear about a dude that's been married for 12 years and four kids has to say about singleness. So I'll be sharing some things, but a lot of it is Akiko's wisdom. And so I'm just excited to, again, be the one that's aiding her in this process. So, but today we're kicking off a new series uh, called Family Matters. We're actually continuing our our journey through the book of Ephesians that we've been on for, I think, almost a year now. And it's been really fun. But each week here at Midtown, we actually have something we say at the beginning. If you don't tune us out, you'll hear it. And we say, we are a family that's loved and served by God, right, and compelled to love and serve God each other, and Austin with God. But the question is, what does that actually mean, right? We put that into practice. What does it mean to love and to serve each other and to see each other as family? And that's what really we're going to be looking at in this series over the next several weeks. We're going to look at uh, different stages of life, different callings that each of us have, right? And we're going to look at singleness, dating, uh, marriage, parenting, relationships like work, and how does this diverse group of people come together as a family and really love and serve one another? So as we dive into this series, we're actually going to be using one verse over the next couple weeks, and it's Ephesians 5.21. It's real popular, real famous. People love it. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I know people have probably different relationships with that verse, uh, but I think after we go through this series, you're really going to come to love this verse and to see it for what it actually is. But this verse is actually really key in this part of Ephesians 5 um, because it actually is the connector verse from what comes before it, the 20 verses before it, and the 20 verses that actually follow it afterwards. So Matt did a great job of explaining the 20 verses before, so I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes re-explaining that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But I did want to go back to Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I want to make a couple observations about this verse. One, like if you take our purpose statement that I just gave you, uh, you know, we are uh, a group of people, a family loved and served by God, right? You see that this dearly loved children and then walk in the way of love, right? Compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God. You see our purpose statement right here in these verses. Um, So if you wonder if we like made it up and it's not biblical, here it is. So, uh, but two, 
I think you get a picture of what love actually looks like in these verses, right? Because it says to love is Christ's love. And the way that Christ loved is he gave up his life for us. That love has this component, this element of sacrifice to it, right? And it says in, at Passover in John 13, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, right before that, he has this last meal with his friends, with his disciples. And it says that he completed his love by bending down and serving them and washing their feet. That whatever love is and whatever we want to make it, it must have these two components of sacrifice and servanthood involved with it. And Paul goes on this long diatribe here in Ephesians 5 and ends it with this idea, this sentence of submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. And that this idea of sacrifice and servanthood being a part of love, but also submission being an expression of sacrifice and servanthood. And when we look at this idea of submission, what we're looking at is two things. One, to place yourself, your desires, your needs, and your preferences under another person. While also simultaneously valuing that other person, their needs, their desires, and their preferences above yourself. And again, this is a connector verse, so it's all the verses that came before, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, what it looks like to love. But then Paul, for the next 20 verses, actually gives us examples of this. Now, in this, this, uh, the first century, what these would have been called are these household codes, right? This relationship between a, um, a husband and a wife, right? A father or parent and his children, and then a master and a slave, and these verses that now have kind of gotten cherry-picked and kind of seen as these regressive um, verses that kind of represent how Christianity is this patriarchy, like actually in their time, these household codes that Paul writes about would have been radically subversive for their time. And in, an, in, a, in a real patriarchal society where everything was about the men, like this ver- this, these verses gave dignity and value for people that didn't have it in that time. And so I could spend like the next hour on those verses, but Jake didn't give me that chance. So we won't do that. Um, I'll leave that up to Jake and, uh, and his lovely wife to do that, and they'll do a much better job than I would. So, but today we're going to talk about something else that was radically and subversive for its time, this idea of singleness. Now, if you were a single person in your 20s, Back in the first century, like, you were not valued at all. The only thing that gave you value in the first century was to be married. Because in Greek culture, Roman culture, you are upholding, right, their, their patriarchal uh, society and their culture. And everything was hinged around marriage. And in the Jewish culture, everything was also hinged around marriage. And your value came and was placed upon who you were identified with. But Jesus and Paul step onto the scene, and they give value and dignity to the person that's single. So if you're single in your 20s today, you should be really thankful for Jesus and Paul, because they changed the game for you. And so before we get into singleness today, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to hand the floor over to Akiko. God, thank you so much for your scriptures. Jesus, thank you so much. For stepping onto the scene and changing the game for us. And I uh, just thank you that you spoke into Paul's life and you allow him to see things differently in ways that gave people value, God, that didn't have value before. 
God, so I pray that as we get into your scriptures today, that we would see um, your scriptures for what they are, for things that give us freedom and life, and for the very good news that it is. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, Mike, Mike, cool. Um, I am very excited to be here today. I'd also like to make a quick caveat about Josh. He undersells himself way too much. He is a vision caster, and I'm forever grateful because I'm a bit of a pragmatist. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to be here today, y'all. I, as someone who is single, surprise, I think that was implied, um, in this family, <laughs> church family, I hold this topic with a lot of care and love because I think God has so much more for us in our singleness or in whatever day that he allows us to live here on earth. Um, because this is a very relevant part of our lives. Like, unless you came out of your mama's womb married, like, <laughs> y'all, you're going to be single at some point in your life. Deal with it. Um, and if you do find that miracle, like, let me know. I'd be very <laughs> fascinated and will change my comment. But um, all of us will experience singleness in on this earth at some point, and I think it's exciting that we can dive into just the hope and the message that Jesus has for us. Um, but before we do, I would like to make a caveat. Like, I know that being single is not a cookie-cutter experience. My experience is very different from other people, and I also know that some of us carry a lot of wounds that come with singleness, or we grieve or lament, or we're single by choice, um, which is super exciting, and I'd love to talk to people about that, or single not by choice, like this is a desire you hold to be married and for the things that come along with that, such as marriage and family and whatnot, like biological children. But also I know that there are other single people. You are single and young, single and old, um, single and divorced, single or widowed. Um, there's just, everyone comes to the table with their story and we're just gonna fall short of that. Like I'd love to say that we're gonna speak into everything, but my desire and hope is that the Holy Spirit would be meeting you where you're at today in your singleness and that the people around you would be able to love and support you as the family of God in that. And so, okay. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start us off uh, with a screenshot that I, um, if you have seen Pride and Prejudice or if you know me at all, you'll learn to know that I love <laughs> period dramas. I am proud of it. Tolander is laughing because I made him and Marlene and a group of people watch it and they roasted it. But... As someone, I just had a birthday, and last week I turned 27, and I've been anticipating this screenshot for the whole year, y'all. I'd like to say I'm not kidding. I, my former roommates can attest. I've been quoting this like nobody's business. Um, and if you don't know the Pride and Prejudice story at all, basically this woman, Charlotte Lucas, um, her best friend just rejects the dude, Mr. Collins, who's not desirable in her eyes, and she comes and says, I'm engaged to be married to Mr. Collins. And Lizzie is like, what? And she's like, he's awful. And she replies with this. And I think it's just all too real and very relevant to the sermon. I promise there's a point. Um, but she says, I'm 27 years old. I have no money and no prospects. I've already, I'm already a burden to my parents, and I'm frightened. And as someone who just turned 27, I'm like, this makes me so sad that this is the message that she lives into that like she has, like she wants and desires security and love and, oh crap, I thought I wasn't gonna cry, but just bear with me. And she just feels like a burden. She's filled with fear and she wants a life that is full of hope. And you know, as humans, we have core needs, like we're needy people and that's 
it's just a part of who we are in our humanity. Like, that's not a bad thing. Um, and that's what I think Jesus, the word Jesus meets us at, is he is the fulfillment and he is our satisfaction. And so as humans, we desire to be seen and to be known. And I think I have a slide for core needs. These are just some of the common ones. Read them as you will. There's so many more. Um, but we desire to be loved and to be known and to be cared for, to be respected, to be secure and safe, to have meaning and purpose, to be connected, to be understood. And what I often see, and I know this isn't the case for everything, but what I often see is that we often project these needs and desires into the institution of marriage, that there is this sort of like, I'm going to find this when I find my other person or when I find my partner in life or I'm going to experience intimacy when I am married. Um, and I think many of us find many of these needs met in marriage, but I think it's very limiting to think that that's the only way in which we can experience some of this. Um, and I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I feel like for the narrative for single people is one that's typically gloomy, and so I have a delightful image of a person in the clouds, hashtag gloomy, um, where there's just this very gloomy forecast for those who are single, um, whether in our current society or just in the church, I and mean, it's one where you hear things like, don't worry, like, your time will come, don't worry, like, there's someone out there for you, um, you'll meet your better half, for those who like puns, or, like, one day you'll experience this or understand the love that we experience, and I think most of the time people are meant to be really encouraging in those statements, like, the thing is, like, there's a huge desire for marriage, like, I would say 97% of people are probably going to end up getting married, um, and that's really awesome. Like, I, I am so pro-marriage, y'all. Like, please not hear my passion for singleness as an angst towards marriage. Like, I want to help and support people who are dating and married and wanting to get married. But there's sort of this, like, subliminal messaging of, like, you're just not there yet. Like, there's more to be had in life. Um, and I think Jesus really just fights against that. Um, like, marriage isn't our hope. Um, Jesus is our hope. Like, we're, we're taught to be, like, fix our gaze on Jesus um, and I think Jesus invites us into a life that is so full and rich, um, and it's not limited or reserved to just romance. And um, I think there's so much in which there really is something about the family of God that God invites us into and allows sacrificial friendship to just really supersede um, and allow us to experience a fullness of life that is found in Christ and then a fullness that is found through the expression of, love, of his love through our church family. Um, and so maybe it's not romantic, but there is a lot to be said about the love that is found as a single person, and it's no less beautiful, valuable, or satisfying. And so I'm excited that we're going to dig into Jesus's words, and I'm going to toss it back to Josh. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kiko. You guys can see why I invited her to come speak with me today. No. No, that was really good. Yeah, when we dive into the scriptures, what we see is that Jesus actually views singleness as an opportunity. I think, Akiko, you hit it well. Like, this idea, a lot of times we kind of cast this idea of singleness as, like, this gloomy forecast, right? Like, you're just waiting to get to the next stage of life. Like, until you do, you're just sitting on the sidelines. And yet Jesus doesn't view it like that at all, right? Actually, when Jesus talks about singleness, he talks about it as an opportunity. There's a guy named Barry Dunalak. He actually wrote a book called Redeeming Singleness. And in his book, he actually takes a surprising take on singleness. He uses this... Uh, this word, 
that Jesus uses, and he begins, begins to explain it to talk about singleness. And it's this language of eunuchs. And so I want to turn to the scriptures and what Jesus says that it can be a little confusing on its face, but I think we'll be able to understand it better when we talk about it. But in Matthew 19, verses 8 through 12, Jesus is having this conversation with these Pharisees, and he says this. He says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. These are the verses that we're going to be focusing on here in 11 and 12. It says this, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. So Jesus, he actually does something fascinating with this language of eunuchs when he's talking about singleness. And he talks about language, or, or talks about eunuchs, and he talks about them in three different ways, three different types of eunuchs. The first is those that are born that way, right? It seems like Jesus, before it was like discovered by science and things like that, had this idea, this concept of kind of intersex, right? That there are some people that don't fit in or they're not born into traditional categories. And I think Jesus hits on this here when he says that they're born that way. Then he hits on the second category, this idea that there's eunuchs that were made that way. And we won't go into the process of what they were made that way, but in that time, in that culture, there were some people that were made eunuchs, right? They were forced to do that by rulers during that time so that they could basically live their life for servitude and nothing else. And so if you made somebody a eunuch, that cut off a little bit of oh. Well, And then there's the third, uh, third, third type of eunuch. And that was a eunuch by choice. Somebody who chose to be single for their life, to dedicate their life to singleness for the kingdom of God. Now, when we get so familiar with Jesus' teachings, right, I think we can actually uh, miss out on what he's saying. When we feel like we've mastered what the Bible has to say about these things, we can miss the context for which Jesus was speaking in. So I want to speak a little bit to the first century context that Jesus was in. He was talking to a group of Pharisees, a group of Jewish leaders at the time. When Jesus dropped these words about eunuchs and about singleness, like there would have been a shock and an awe that would have ripped through the crowd at the time. For Jesus to say that marriage wasn't the ultimate goal would have been seen as completely absurd. This was absolutely out of the question in Jewish culture at the time. What Jesus says here is completely subversive and disruptive in its day. See, in his day, in the Jewish view, historically, the Jews viewed procreation and by implication marriage as a divine commandment directly connected to Genesis 1.28 on the basis of the creation mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. In fact, in the New Encyclopedia of Judaism on celibacy, it says this, marriage is a commandment in Jewish tradition and celibacy is deplored. So for all the controversial things that Jesus could have said, for Jesus to say that you don't need marriage, for Jesus to not reaffirm the teaching of Genesis, and for thriving in the kingdom of God as essential would have shocked them during his day. From their perspective, from the Jewish perspective, having, being married and having children 
was everything. And then you have the Greek view during that time. And for Greeks, a eunuch was somebody who had distorted their body, right? And for Greeks, like classical beauty in the physical form was everything. So for someone who was willfully or willing to get their body deformed or had that deformed by somebody else or distorted, like they were looked down upon, right? They were seen as effeminate. And in a patriarchal society, to be effeminate was, to, was the worst thing. But then there was this third category that was in the world at that time of eunuchs. And it was this Eastern view of eunuchs that neither the Greeks or the Jews would have had. But Jesus introduces it into this section right here. And the Eastern view of eunuchs was this, that a eunuch was a treasured friend, a faithful friend. They were viewed as those that were trustworthy, those who could be let into your inner circle of confidence. They were known for their focus and their faithfulness. And for me, it's fascinating that Jesus kind of enters into this world, this idea of a eunuch, and has this kind of high category of honor for eunuchs and for those who are single during that time. I want you guys to listen to this quote by Barry Dunlop, who I mentioned earlier from his book, Redeeming Singleness. He says this, The New Testament does not interpret the mandate given to Adam, Noah, and Jacob as a divine imperative impingement upon all. Basically, that means... This doesn't have to be for everybody. Nor traditional marriage, procreation, and material prosperity explicitly associated with covenantal blessing in the new covenant. Instead, the central message of the New Testament is in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus' primary concern in his ministry is not to provide a prescription for living well in the land, but to bestow spiritual life. A new life in the spirit that is eternal life. Such new spiritual formation is the process of becoming Jesus' disciple. Hence, though in the New Testament we are not given any explicit mandate to marry and procreate physical human beings, we are given a new mandate to create more spiritual human beings. Disciples in the form of Jesus, as we find in the words of Matthew's Great Commission. Right? In the Old Testament, there's basically this mandate for physical procreation. And in the New Testament, that switches to this mandate for spiritual procreation. So again, this would have been unbelievable at the time. Like nobody had ever said this before. And so for the Jewish community, the only way that you could fulfill covenantal blessing was to be married and to have kids and to inherit the land, right? Like a big emphasis was, for them was the land. And so during this time when Jesus is saying this word, there's a fight over a physical piece of property that the Jews are a part of during that time. And Jesus steps into this moment and he says, I don't know how to say this to you, but I'm going to elevate your level of thinking on this. The future is not about owning a piece of land or having a family. The future is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about recreating spiritual sons and daughters in the world. See, for Jesus, you didn't actually have to be married in order to live into this view. And during that time, this is incredibly good news for those who are single. Again, this uh, teaching was, was amazing. And Jesus is so amazing that Jesus says in the end, he says this, anyone that can accept this should accept this. And this idea of accept in that time was really this idea of receiving something, right? Like to accept a gift, to receive a gift. Typically, it expressed this idea of making room for something in your life. 
And figuratively during that time, it would have been making room for a potentially new idea that you had never considered before. So Jesus is literally saying, I'm bringing something new to you for you to consider. And I think for us now, I think we need to even have this conversation with ourselves. Like maybe for us, um, for those that are single in this room, maybe you've never considered what I'm supposed to do with this time of my singleness. Maybe you just always kind of thought, hey, look, this is going to be a season. I'm just going to get through it until I get to this next place in my life. But again, there's this chance that if we're not careful, we're going to miss out on this opportunity that Jesus has for us that he says enables us to live as blessed disciples in the kingdom of God. And to receive this teaching on singleness is to create space for this. So for us, the question is, what does it look like for us to create space um, in this area of our life? And so we're going to talk about four things that I think that Jesus wants us to consider about our singleness. Yeah. Oh, so good. I wish I could just drop your mic. Um, <laughs> it would require some violence, so. Um, but we're going to talk, yeah, about four things um, in which we can steward our singleness, essentially. And the first one is devotion. Um, oh, great slides. Um, and yeah, I just think Jesus really casts a vision for us to just realize the beauty and the benefit of singleness in a way that just allows us to live in the fullness that God has created us to be. Um, and so devotion, when I mean that, I mean growing in devotion um, to the Lord in your relationship. Um, and I'm going to move this back a little bit because I can't read. <laughs> um, but I do think that we sometimes in our very, like, busy, performative-driven societal state, if you're a student, I know what it's like to be at UT. Like, it's just constantly, like, duh, duh, duh. Um, We just sometimes miss the beauty of just basking in the presence of our Lord, of our Father, of Jesus, our friend, and Holy Spirit, our counselor, and um, I think he invites us to just really learn what it means to just rest at his feet and to live out of a rooted and established place um, in him, and so I'm going to take us back to Ephesians 5, 15 to 21 just to reread the verses leading up to 521, um, but it says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And I think leading up to that, it's just so important, all the context before that. And again, like Josh said, just go listen to Tolander's talk from way back when. But um, I think this gives us a really good structure to sort of work out of in terms of growing in devotion to the Lord. And so I'd like to just propose some questions that I have on the slide just to start us off on some reflection. We don't have all the time for me to just be like break out for 20 minutes, but these are mm -hmm. things, that's my style, break out. Um, <laughs> if you were ever in college ministry with me. But... These are the questions that I'd love for you to consider. Um, how would you describe your relationship with God? Would you say you have a relationship with God? Do you view him as a father? Do you view him as a discipliner? Discipliner? Disciplinarian? I don't know the word. It's okay. Um, do you, slash how do you currently spend time with him? Do you spend time with him? What does that look like? Um, do you find that you are filled by the Spirit and growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Or is the Spirit just 
like, nah, Kiko, that was like an axe, and it's like super distant from me. Um, and then what does it mean such look like for you to rest before Jesus? Are there practices that you engage in that allow you to really rest before him? Um, and so those are questions that I just really challenge you to consider. Um, I think you can sit with these for a bit and invite the Holy Spirit to really just be like, Spirit, reveal these things to me. Like, how do I actually view you? Like, do I spend time with you? And if not, why? Is it because I don't trust you? Um, and I think the bare bones of what I'm going to tell you in terms of growing devotion um, is engage in the word, like the written word, and with Jesus, and prayer. Um, talk to him. Um, and there's different forms of prayer, and that's just a whole different topic altogether, but I'll touch on some of it. Um, but my encouragement to you is, man, y'all, we have been provided the word of God, and we've been allowed the privilege to see Jesus, the living word, live out his life and speak in parables. And um, my encouragement to you is to read, study, meditate, memorize, journal off the word, get to know the narrative of the Bible, get to know the story, get to know the author of creation. Um, and so I'm going to... Oh, and pray. I forgot about prayer. Sorry, God. Um, talk to him. He is a relational God that invites us to approach his throne of grace. Um, praise him. Sing songs to him. Lament before him. I know we did a um, series where we were talking about lamenting, and I think that's so important to learn how to grieve before the Lord and to, like, actually be like, Lord, this is how I feel. I'm empty, and I'm downcast, and I hate everything in the world right now but meet me here. Um, he already knows your heart, y'all. Um, and then learn to sit in silence and to like actively wait and to expectantly hope in him, his response and voice. Um, he is not a silent or absent God. He is a God who wants to communicate with us. Um, and I'd encourage you to like lean into the practice of actually engaging in that. Um, so I'm gonna share a few of the practices now we're here that I personally engage in. Um, and then I'm going to point us to a resource that Midtown actually has, um, Healthy Habits. I think that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Healthy Habits. Um, and if you're, like, at a point where you are not sure, like, how to actually engage in word and prayer and would like an assistance, um, that's a phenomenal resource um, that I really like. Um, and someone would be happily walk you alongside with that. Um, but some of the ways that I personally engage with God um, if you know anything about spiritual pathways, I'm, I really like contemplation and I really love nature. Um, I like to sit in things. Um, but the ways I do are journaling the word, a Lectio Divina practice, which is basically a meditative scripture reading practice. Um, I like art. Um, and so sometimes this is why I have an unlined journal. Uh, whenever I read scripture, I feel like the Lord is giving me an image and I draw in response to that. Um, I take walks in nature, for I dearly love to walk, um, and I pray and praise him as I walk through just the world. Um, I love song, but you won't hear me doing it through here. Um, I try to practice Sabbath. I often, often epically fail, but I try. And then I engage in the practice of the examine, which is sort of like a more monastic practice, but it's uh, basically a way of just sort of bringing asking the Lord to reveal a, something that's brought you joy in your life and then inviting him to sort of process that with you and asking for him to respond in that and then um, asking him to reveal something that's caused your heart grief. Um, it's really cool. You should look it up. I like it. 
Um, and yeah, and the memory of scripture, which I know the staff knows, but I struggle with this. Um, I try because I've found that scripture um, is the way to combat the enemy, to combat um, Satan. And in times where I have been like bedridden with fear and anxiety, like reciting scripture is the only thing that gets me back to a place where I'm like, I am okay. Um, and so I just would encourage you to learn more about like how you connect with the Lord and really dive in because y'all, the God who is love has invited us into a rich and beautiful relationship with him and he is accessible. And I mean, even here in the U.S., like we have the freedom to actually own the word of God and to dive dive into it publicly and worship. And so there's already a layer that's been like taken away um, that we don't have to worry about. And so my encouragement for y'all is to, wherever you're at today, to just acknowledge this is how I view God. And then ask God, is this true of you? And is what I believe of myself true in you? Um, yeah, you could go on for a whole semester on that, y'all. <laughs> but um, the second thing I'd like to encourage us is, the second word is develop. Um, here's the thing, we are called to grow in our relationship with the Lord, but at the same time, we're not meant to silo in it. Like, we aren't we aren't lone rangers for Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we are together. Um, and so my encouragement to you is to develop rich friendships in your singleness and in your marriage. Honestly, if you're here today, develop rich friendships. <laughs> um, and fight for community. Like, we are not meant to live this life alone. Because if we are, that's just really, it's just hard. Like, life is hard. Um, but we are invited into the family of God, one that is just has a spiritual sisterhood and brotherhood that is exciting and rich. And so as you grow in your devotion to the Lord and learn what it looks like to be rooted and established in Christ, my encouragement is to you is to spread out and to rub shoulders with one another and get to know one another and to learn what it looks like to actually live a sacrificial and um, loving life with others. Jesus told us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I think we really have to be able to tie those two together. Um, and as someone who, I guess, 27, single, no kids, never been married, this has kept me sane. This has kept me going. This has kept me experiencing the rich beauty of friendship um, and experiencing the family of God is one that has helped me through seasons where I needed people to walk alongside me and carry me for a while. Um, and so I'm going to share a quote with you that was shared to Josh, and then he shared it to me. So I confess I haven't read this book, but I really like this quote, so I'm just going to share it. Um, but it says, and I think I have a slide. Oh, yeah, thank you, slides person. You're great. Um, In our culture today, it's easy to believe that sexual love is the peak of human intimacy, followed closely by parental love. Within this mentality, it's easy for Christians to believe that the nuclear family is the locus for all real lasting love. But Jesus torpedoes this idea. Greater love has no one than this. Jesus declares that he laid down his life for his friends. According to Jesus, friendship isn't the poor cousin of romantic love. Self-sacrificing friendship love is just as good as any other kind. Jesus isn't denigrating the nuclear family. He is setting it in its proper context, the blood-bought brotherhood and sisterhood of the church. And we are invited into that sisterhood and brotherhood of the church. And that, you know, that's no small thing. That's really powerful. And I think the love that we experience in that is just, yeah, I have no other word than powerful at the moment. <laughs> um, 
Um, and so I've decided to include a pic of what I believe to be a great cultural reference to uh, brotherhood. If we have any Lord of the Rings fans in here, I would shout now. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I love college students. Um, but, I mean, also on a biblical side, like, look up um, Saul, up, no, David and Jonathan's friendship because it's phenomenal and a great biblical example of friendship. But Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, on a cultural standpoint, is one that I think there is a brotherhood, there's a fellowship of the ring, and then there are the hobbits who are really tight. They always eat together. It's great. And then you have Frodo and Samwise, and I think they are an example of deep, rich friendship that exists in the fictional world. Um, that, and I don't want to spoil it. Some of y'all may have not seen it. <laughs> but Samwise fights for Frodo. Frodo is like, I am burdened with a purpose, and I must do this, and I don't want to burden others. So I'm gonna, he, he's often like fleeing and trying to do things on his own, and Sam is like, no, no, no. I am here for you, bro. And he's like, to the point where Frodo like collapsed at some point. I won't tell you when. And Samwise literally carries him. And it's like, Sam is willing to go to like the depths of Mordor with Frodo. And it's like, he loves the dude so much that he would lay down his life for him in the way that Jesus would sacrifice his life and did a sacrifice his life for us. And so... Um, in the verse in Ecclesiastes where it says, King Solomon laments, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. Because that's not the life that Jesus invites us into. That is, oh, hi. That is not, that is not the life that God invites us into. It is not a life that is alone. It is a life that is rich with fellowship with him and with the people and the family of God. Um, but I would like to say that, like, cultivating friendships is hard. It gets harder after you get out of college. I've learned that in the last three years. You have to really fight, and you have to really make time, and you really have to initiate. And so I'd encourage you that even if it feels awkward or uncomfortable or weird for a time to be the person who initiates and be the person who reaches out and to just seek the Lord in prayer, like, Lord, help me find friends that I can live life on life with. Um, and help me learn how to resolve conflict and solve them and work through them and teach me how to love others as they has loved me um, or as you have loved me. Because I believe that engaging in deep friendship is one of the ways that God invites us to really live a rich and full life that is full of love. Um, and so, yeah, that's my first two. That's good. All right, I'm going to zoom through these next two at the risk of uh, breaking Matt Solander's record of 50 minutes. Um, I'm not going to do that today. So, um, so we're going to go through these next two really quick. Uh, there are discover and then difference. Um, really spend this time in your singleness of discovering who you are, right? I think so many people get into relationships, and they end up getting into them, and really they only live out of the preferences of the other person out of fear that they're going to lose their relationship. What happens when you do that is you actually lose a, the sense of who you are. You never really figure out who you are. So things like, what do you believe? Um, what do you want in life? Like, what is your calling? Like, those type of things you don't figure out. You just become a collection of the preferences and desires of others. And so for us, we really need to figure out our vertical identity with Christ, right? Who does God say that we are? And get informed by that and not have a horizontal identity that's just a collection of what everybody else thinks of us. 
So spend this time doing that. We actually have, I can zoom this up pretty quick because we've created a training huddle around this idea of making, discovering who you are and making a difference and impact in the world. And so if you don't know who you are, this training huddle would be a great way to figure that out and discover that. So go through that. Justin did a great job of creating that, and it's awesome. Um, the, last, uh, the next thing is difference. And so you can use your singleness, right, to make a difference in the world, to make a kingdom impact. And so and we want, to, we want you to do that. We want to help you do that. There's two things that you have more of during this season of your life than any, of, any else. And those are these things, freedom and time, right? You have more freedom and time as a single person than you will in any other stage of your life. Children have a lot of time, but like as my son knows today, because he was forced to come to church, he doesn't have a lot of freedom. He has to do what I tell him to do. Um, and he didn't want to come here, Dad, talk, but he had to. So, um, and when you have children and you get married, your time gets cut in half. And when you have children, you don't have time for yourself. So use this time and understand that this is a time that's a unique season for you to make an impact with the kingdom of God, um, where your time just doesn't have to be split with other things. Um, and so, um, yeah, those are the two big things. And then last, I think we might have a few things on ways that the body can really love single people well. Yeah. Um, so also the next portion is a Kiko um, recommends. They're not biblically grounded stuff, so take them with a grain of salt. Um, but we have talked a lot about how we can grow in our singleness, um, how we can steward it, how we can take advantage of how Jesus casts a vision for us. Um, but I do want to invite the church family to consider a framework um, of ways in which you can engage people in all stages of life, but especially in those who are single. Um, and these come from my own personal experience of how I have felt loved and invited into the family of God. Um, and so the framework is, yeah, um, Invite them to the feast at the table. I think a lot of relationships grow over food. I'm a huge food person. But invite those who are single to come feast with you, to come live life with you, um, to see the mess that is life. Um, and then number two is don't assume. I think, like I said earlier, like all of us have a different narrative in our singleness. Um, and don't assume that one who is single is mourning their singleness um, or is not mourning their singleness which leads into the third one, which is get to know the person. Don't see them as just a single person. See them as their sis your sister or brother in Christ, um, as a friend. Don't let the relational status be the way you see them. Like, actually get to know them. Get to know what they like, their dislikes, how you can love them. Um, and then four, invest in them. I've been so blessed, immeasurably blessed my whole life to have people of different stages in the life invest in me. Um, to care for me, to love me, to ask me how I am doing. Josh is one of those people. When I worked with him, he really invested in me, and I'm forever grateful. Um, it was his job. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but he really did. I'm sure he would have anyway. But I've benefited so greatly from his wisdom and his direction. But here's the thing. At some point, these single people might get married. I would argue that many do. And they're going to need that investment, that growing, that time that you've spent in them to practice that more just in their current life, but then maybe in their marriage and then beyond, wherever God leads them. And then the fifth one is encourage them in their walk with Jesus. Like, man, encourage. Like, we just need to be 
a family of God that encourages one another. Single people encourage married people. Married people encourage single people. Everybody encourage each other. Um, and so that's the framework. And so I'm going to give some, like, ideas that I think are great, but, again, my opinion. Um, but invite them to dinner, like I said, food. Kids welcome. Love whenever I get to hang out with kids. Um, and then reconsider double dates. I am weird. I love being a third wheel or, like, a fourth wheel or a fifth wheel or a seventh wheel. I've been on quite a few. Um, but reconsider double dates. I think that we sometimes think that double dates have to happen with married people. Invite your single people to date night. I think, I don't know, maybe it's weird. I love it. Um, host a book club that mixes all the statuses. Um, remember them on holidays and send them a text or gift of love. I'm going to give a shout out to my parents who I think are on Zoom. Um, they made me feel so loved every Valentine's Day. Um, and then when I lived with the Hills, they would get me Valentine's Day cards like Valentine's Day does not have to be sad day, single awareness day. Like, remember your single friends. Like, honestly, like, holidays can be really hard. I think we've talked a lot about the beauty and the benefit, but, like, that doesn't mean that there isn't a side to singleness that is hard and experience of loneliness. Like, remember them and love them, serve them. And then the fifth one is sort of niche, but I know at least three people who've done it, so... Ask your single friends to live with you. If you have the space and the desire and the heart for it, you might want to pray about it. I don't know. Um, and then pray for them. Ask for specifics. I think that's the biggest way that you can love and serve them is pray for them. But then also ask how you can be praying for them. And so that is the invitation I would give to the church. But um, all to say is to take us back to the verse we started with, Ephesians 5.21, like learning how to submit to one another in the reverence of Christ. Um, Let's lean into this. I'm excited that this is a series that I think is just going to be like, ooh, amazing. Um, but like sing those who are single in our church, I pray and hope that the Holy Spirit would meet you where you're at um, and encourage you to live out faithfully um, from where you are and that you would recognize that the single life is not a lonely life. It doesn't have to be. Um, and for those who are married, like, Lean into getting to know your single brothers and sisters. Um, let us see each other like that. Let us engage in the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Um, let us carry one another as Samwise carried Frodo. Um, and let's lean into the identity of the family of God that God has so invited us into. And so I'm going to end us in prayer. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Um, <laughs> dear Heavenly Father, um, Son and Holy Spirit, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the life we find in you. I thank you, Father, that you are the one who satisfies. I thank you that, God, you are love. I thank you, God, that you have invited us into a rich, rich, rich um, relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there is anything that we've said today that is not from you or of you, Lord, that you would cast it out of our brains, our ears, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, Lord. I pray, Father, that only the truth of who you are would land with us. I pray, Father, for those who really struggle in their singleness, Lord, that they would be able to encounter you in a way that just is radical, Lord, that your love would push through and be the thing that we hold on to and hold fast to, Lord. Teach us to be your children who fix our gaze on you, Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that you would teach us how to live in your spirit, by your spirit, and that we would be transformed by your spirit. 
Help us to walk alongside each other and do that in humility, Lord. Make us humble before you, Lord, in a way that would allow us to engage you fully, Lord, and allow us to express your love through us. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are our friend, and I thank you for the counselor you have left with us. And I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.